Is this working? Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. How, can I, how can I look at my notes and walk around and hold this at the same time? I might throw something at you, yes. Um, it's, it's audacious for me to come and even talk about the third third of life because I'm still trying to figure it out in this journey that I'm on. And the real story of the third third of life is sitting right here in this room. The, the resources available to you right here tonight in this room are enough to create wonders in this community and in the larger community around you. And if we accomplish anything tonight, I hope I convince you to keep asking questions about moving forward as you think about the third third. <clears throat> when, when I look at the, I'd like to divide life up into thirds. And, and my books all tend to flow from where I am at that stage in life. And so I think of 1 to 30 as kind of the preparation education stage of life. 30 to 60 is roughly the family career stage of life. And the third third of life for me represents that what used to be called retirement. What are we going to do with the rest of our life? How do we live the rest of our life with meaning? Uh, the pastor said that some of you are too young to be here. I'd want to disagree with him. There's no time you're too young to think about the rest of your life. And so how do we live the rest of our life with intention, this life that God has entrusted to us? Uh, I think you're dealing with a very important topic. I should have some slides. These are the, the three people I'd like to talk about tonight, Max, Moses, and Mavy. Anyone here 100 years old? Okay, no techers yet. Anyone expect to live to 100? All right, we're getting a few more hands. Chances are, if you're here tonight and you're healthy, there's a very good possibility you'll live to 100. That's one of the new realities. So we're looking at 30, 40, 50 years. I, I had a friend that, that recently got fired, and he was talking with me about what's he going to do. He's 50, and he's, what's he going to do now for the next 10 years? And I said, well, don't think about a 10-year plan. Think about a 50-year plan. You need a 50-year plan for what you're going to do with the rest of your life <clears throat> because we are going to live a lot longer. Next, next slide. Yeah. When, when I think of the... I'm having a little trouble adjusting to this. I'm a control freak, and I'm used to doing it all on my iPad to make it change what I want to change. So we'll get our signals together here uh, shortly. When, when I think of SageWorks, what you're about, you're looking at the second half of life, or like I like to talk about the third third of life. What we're really talking about is how do we re-envision or revision our calling, our character, and our community, our relationships as we continue on this journey through life. And I got into this topic probably when I turned 60. There was a couple of forces that that began to push me. As I passed the 60 mark, I started thinking, well, one of these days I'm going to have to think about retirement. How do I think about that? What does that mean today? How do I even approach this topic? And so I started reading and I started talking with people. And I do a lot of speaking and working with business leaders and with nonprofit organizations. And as I was working with business leaders, I would see in the room, as I'm sure we have here tonight, years and years of experience and knowledge and wisdom that's been accumulated just by living life's journey and the work that they are doing. 
And yet so many of them had no plan for what they were going to do when they quit working. And one of the forces there that kind of got my attention is research I saw as I turned 60 that said if you retire without retiring to something, you die in 13 months. Well, that kind of got my attention. I have a granddaughter. I want to see her get married. 13 months is too short. She's only five. So I began to think about that. So what's this, this purpose? And I see all these business leaders that have been so absorbed by their work, they haven't thought about life after work. And there's still many of them out there that aren't thinking about that. At the same time, I work with nonprofit organizations. And I go into the nonprofit world, and I see organizations desperate for mentors, for board members, for volunteers, for consultants, the kind of wisdom that I see accessible in these business meetings that I'm in is desperately needed by the nonprofit world. So it strikes me that there's a match here. There's a match. There's encore careers available to all of us as we move into this third third of life. And as I said to somebody when we were talking out there earlier, turning 60 is kind of like turning 18 again. If you think about it, kids are gone. You've got nobody really dependent on you at this stage of life. You're probably, although today's economy, this gets a little shakier, but you're probably not really that worried about your financial situation any more than you were when you were 18. At 60, you've got a good 30 years ahead of you. You could do anything you want to do. Our Donna, I think, went back to law school. Look at the possibilities before. You could do anything. There's nothing to stop you from reengaging your life and figuring out what God wants you to do with it. It's, there's a natural match out there that we need to be exploring. So once I began to see these pressures and realize I'm getting older, I decided I better go see my mentor. And Max Dupree is my mentor, the sage that I look to. I've been working with Max now for a little over 30 years as I try to negotiate my own leadership journey and my own life journey. And I see him as a, as a wise sage and mentor in my life. He's a man of deep character. I mean, I'm old enough now that I have very few people left on pedestals. But Max is one of them. His, the integrity of his character just goes right down to the core of his being. What he did at Herman Miller, he does as uh, a father, as a friend, as a board member. It just it permeates everything that he does in life. So I contacted Max and said, Max, I'd like to talk about the third third of life. How do I think about retirement? And of course, at that point, I'm, I'm the director of the center that's in his name, and so he has a vested interest in how I think about retirement. And Max is a question asker. So I, I went to him because he modeled that match between what I was seeing in the business world and the nonprofit world. When Max entered his 60s, he retired from his role as CEO at Herman Miller, took a part-time position as chairman of the board so he could spend more time in his board work at Fuller Seminary, Hope College, and other organizations. Max served on the board of Fuller for 40 years and significantly shaped the development of that institution. He also became a mentor in his 60s, and that's kind of when I audaciously wrote to him and asked him if he would tutor me in leadership. And was amazed that he agreed, and I'm one of a dozen people that he has served as a mentor for for the last 30 years. And so he entered into the mentoring role, and he began to write. 
And so he's got four bestsellers out there, and Leadership as an Art has been named by some of the people at Harvard as one of the top ten leadership books of all times. It's, it's had that much impact on people. So I saw in Max someone who had encore careers in his third third, as a board member, as a volunteer, as an author, and as a mentor. And mentors ask questions. Max is a devoted question asker. I would go to him with my list of questions, and I would leave him with a longer list of questions. Mentors don't give advice, and they don't answer your questions. They share their story of how they answered the questions for themselves, and they ask you the questions that you need to answer for yourself. And a good mentor is constantly asking the questions, probing, getting you to take responsibility for your own life and for your own development. Mentoring is really self-directed learning. It's not advice. And, and I want to I underline that. I want to demythologize mentoring. So many of us are afraid to be mentors because we think we need to be wise and have all the answers. What makes you a good mentor is to be a good listener and to be an encourager and to share your failures as well as your successes. It's your story and how you've negotiated this journey of life so far that's valuable to everyone coming along behind you. And this room is full of mentors. Look, look around you. Look at the people sitting in this room here tonight. I don't know hardly any of you. I've met a few of you tonight, but you know one another. You know the depth of the resources in this room. I wish we had the time to do an exercise that I call a crisis exercise. And I do this with my mentoring workshops. And what we do is we ask you to list all of the crises or challenges or fears or concerns that you have encountered along your life timeline so far or that you're anticipating or worried about on your lifetime yet to come. And then we put them all up on charts around the wall. Then we give everybody six red dots and six green dots. And we ask you to go up to the charts and put a red dot by every crisis that you are facing. Put a green dot by every crisis that you've already faced. And then we all stand back and look. And every time we have done that, what is strikingly evident is for every red dot on the chart, there's a green dot. So for whatever problem you're wrestling with as you sit here tonight, there's somebody else in this room that's already resolved it and knows the questions that you need to be pondering as you think about your journey. Part of what I hope you will do with SageWorks is create some structures to be able to share your experiences with one another so you can learn from the, the journey that you have all been on. <clears throat> in this room are all the resources you need to solve almost all of the problems that you're going to encounter in the rest of your life and that the other generation, the younger generation that are not here, are still experiencing. They need you, and you need one another. Mentoring allows us to cross these generational lines. And Max always used to say that he learned as much from our relationship as I did, which I thought was kind of condescending, because I knew that wasn't true, until I became a mentor. And when I became a mentor and started working with people who were asking me questions and wanting to invite me into their life, I began to realize how much you learn when you start reflecting on your own journey 
and then try to articulate what you've learned from your journey and then have a chance to see life through the eyes of another generation. So it is a learning relationship that goes both ways. Uh, my grandchildren gave me a kind of a humorous illustration of the differences in generation. I have three grandsons and the other grandmother was bringing them home from school. And as they were driving home from school, somebody raised a question. And Krista, the other grandmother, said, I don't know the answer to that. And so Brendan, my 12-year-old grandson, said, well, Nanik, is what they called her, Nanik, as soon as I get home, I'll Google it and text you the answer. <laughs> and she said, Brendan, you know that I don't know how to text, which prompted the 10-year-old to jump up and say, what? You don't know how to text? <laughs> Incredulously. And she said, no, and it's not on my bucket list to learn before I die. <laughs> Which prompted the seven-year-old to say, well, make sure Magic Mountain is. <laughs> and, you, and you get different perspectives. But as another friend pointed out, it was interesting that she didn't know how to text, but the seven-year-old knew what a bucket list was. And so who's, who's listening to the other generation more clearly? We need mentors, and you are all mentors just by virtue of the green dots that you have posted. You all have green dots. You've all put them out there. You've all lived through stages of life. You're a valuable resource to people yet to face the experiences that you have had. So when I go to Max, he asks questions. The book that uh, Pastor Mike referred to, Third Third of Life, is a book of questions. There's no answers in there. I mean, if, if you think I have answers for the third third of your life, don't buy the book, don't look at it. It's a study guide. It's a set of questions and exercises that came out of the dialogue that Max and I have had over the last four years to get you in small groups or even on your own to start reflecting on your journey to date, what you've learned out of life and the people that God has sent across your path that might shape the way you think about your calling in the future. And so it's, it's a way to raise questions for you to discuss. Now, I've given you a handout. Uh, I'd like you to take a, you have about two minutes to answer seven life-changing questions. Uh, try, to, try to write down some initial response to those seven questions. with these kind of questions is they're all kind of the philosophical things that you need to go away on a retreat and think about for a long, long period of time. And I'm asking you to just flip something off quickly. But if you write something down, it'll at least provoke you to come back later and think of whether that was really honest or not. And we're not gonna, you won't have time to share them so you're safe. <laughs> 